Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Today's episode of Critical Thinking is brought to you by the letter M. M stands for morality. And this is a double meaning on this episode of Critical Thinking because it is indigenous people. Arr, Columbus. Arr, oh, we can't say that word. It is Columbus Day here in America. It is also 72 hours since senseless violence, murder, war has broken out between the Israelis and Hamas, and we've seen the M-word, morality, bandied about from the left to the right to the pro-Israeli to the pro-Hamas. Yes, there is a pro-Hamas wing, and everywhere in between. So we're going to break it all down right here on Critical Thinking. I'm Andrew Coppins. I'm flying solo, and as always, you're tuned in to Critical Thinking. All right, everybody, I hope you are all safe and well. Um, I'm just going to say this up front. I I really struggled with how to put today's show together, not because I'm flying solo, but because what took place over this weekend is brutal. It's rough. It's harsh. It is difficult to put into the correct words. It is very difficult to maneuver through and to come to some sort of definitive answer. And that's where I came to this realization. Guess what? It's okay to not have the answers. It is okay to say, I don't know. It is okay to say, I think, but, because too often in this world of instant 
reaction, instant gratification, instant this and instant that. We're told we have to have an answer. What I do know, though, for definitive truth is that slaughtering absolutely innocent men, women, and children in furtherance of some political or uh, perceived political grievance or some sort of racial issue is always wrong. It is always immoral. But Andrew, don't the Israelis kill men, women, and children? To suggest that would be to deny what Hamas, Hezbollah, the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian um, Islamic Brotherhood, the um, all the other different militant organizations do because they realize the morality that the Israelis operate under. And that morality is that they do not want to kill men, women, children. And oftentimes, vis-a-vis documented proof, multiple times, text messages, um, written pieces of information from decades ago to today that they use on the Palestinian side, Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, da-da-da-da-da. These organizations use women, children, hospitals, buildings that Israelis will not target for the fear of targeting innocent people. They use them as shields for their terroristic efforts. The stories that have come out of families, and I'm just going to say this, there's going to be a couple of times in this episode where I'm going to ask you if if you are not one to want to know about violence or you want to shield children, now is your time. So, three, two, one. The brutal stories of families in which mom, dad, and all the children are kidnapped by Hamas militants, the children raped, beaten, murdered in front of the parents, and then the parents murdered. The story of the uh, people at a dance festival for peace, by the way, watching Hamas hang glide into their peaceful as the EDM music is playing in the background, their peaceful festival, hoping for both sides, by the way, to come together for peace, hang glide in and just murder indiscriminately over 260 people at this festival in the desert to watch the stories of and watch the videos of the desecration 
the raping, the sodomizing of Israeli women, and European women, by the way, as we found, find out in one of the videos, once we find out the identity of the individual in question, stripping them nearly naked in public, Whatever you think of what is going on between the government of Hamas, because Hamas runs Gaza, and the Israeli government, whatever you think of what is going on, my simple question is, is this a justified scenario? And I can't think of any justification, period, point blank, for this level, for this to have occurred. Period. You want to fight the Israeli Defense Force? Fight them. You want me to suggest that you have some sort of a high ground to stand on? Raping men, women, children, indiscriminately killing civilians for whatever reason? Having absolutely nothing to do with the uh, people? in the Israeli government, in the Israeli Israeli Defense Forces. That's not a way to get you, to get me on your side. But more importantly than that, one of the things that I saw bandied about a thousand times this weekend was the word morality. I'm not sure that one side absolutely is more moral than the other. I'm not. What I am sure is that the actions of Hamas are a thousand percent immoral. I don't have enough detailed information and knowledge as to what is going on with the Israeli government and and its uh, policies towards Gaza, Hamas, all of those other things to say that they're a thousand percent in the moral high ground here. I don't have that information because I cannot pay attention to everything, every part of the globe all the time. But what justification should ever exist should ever be there to do what Hamas has been doing. And given the things that we know took place, frankly, I think the Israeli response declaring war, shutting the power off, collective, there's the other word that was used by leftists in America and abroad, collective punishment. Were those 260 innocent party goers um, paying money for a festival of peace in the Middle East between the Palestinians and the Israelis? Were they not innocent? Did they not somehow meet the test of collective punishment? I also thought that there were a ton of absolutely 
terrible takes on all sides of this issue and uh, the war that is now ongoing between Hamas and and Gaza, or Hamas and the Israeli um, government. All sides. But it got me to thinking about morality because everybody wanted to make this as a moral play. And very well maybe. But I don't have that answer. I don't know that to be 1,000% the case. So, with that being said, I thought, let's take a look at some of the takes, and, and not all of them, but some of them that are representative of some of the uh, takes that are out there. And I wanted to start with a take that I've seen from the libertarian side of things and from some on the right. And it was that, well, America bears responsibility and Israel bears responsibility because, well, they encouraged and created Hamas. And Ron Paul, um, what he said on the floor of the House of Representatives has been floating around all weekend long. And it goes to something like this. What's happening in the Middle East, and in particular with Gaza right now, we have some moral responsibility for both sides, uh, in a way, because we provide help and funding uh, for both Arab nations and Israel. And uh, so we definitely have a moral responsibility, and especially now today, the weapons being used to uh, kill so many Palestinians are American weapons, and uh, American funds essentially are being used uh, for this. But there's a political liability, which I think is something that we fail to look at because too often there's so much blowback from our intervention in areas that we shouldn't be involved in. You know, Hamas, if you look at the history, you'll find out that Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. And he said, well, yeah, that was better then and served his purpose, but we didn't want Hamas to do this. So then we as Americans say, well, we have such a good system, we're going to impose this on the world. We're going to invade Iraq and teach people how to be Democrats. We want free elections. So we encourage the Palestinians to have a free election. They do, and they elect Hamas. So we first indirectly and directly through Israel help establish Hamas. Then we have election. Then Hamas becomes dominant, so we have to kill them. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. During, during the 80s, uh, you know, we were allied with Osama bin Laden. And uh, we were contending with the Soviets. It was at that time our CAA thought it was good if we radicalized the Muslim world. So we financed the madrasa schools to radicalize the Muslims in order to compete with the, with the Soviets. There's too much blowback. There's a lot of reasons why we should oppose this resolution. It is not in the interest of the United States. It's not in the interest of Israel either. So there was a lot of that from the libertarian side. Well, they're kind of reaping what they sowed and creating that uh, discord with the Palestinian Authority and Yasser Arafat and and uh, their belief of them being also terrorists. Is that actually true that Israel and then indirectly the United States because of our relationship has been the the ones that established Hamas? and gave credence to the interfighting within the Palestinian side of things. So I went digging, and I found 
an absolutely great article titled The Origins of Hamas, Militant Legacy or Israeli Tool? Because that's the other argument that has been out there is that, well, actually it was just a militant um, organization that traces all the way back to the founding of the Muslim Brotherhood. And if you know anything about the Muslim Brotherhood, you know that that is an Egyptian uh, scenario that was all the way back in 1935 and its founding there. Well, Jean-Pierre Philou wrote this. Since its creation in 1987, Hamas has been at the forefront of armed resistance in the occupied Palestinian territories. While the movement itself claims to uh, claims an unbroken militancy in Palestine dating back to 1935, others credit post-1967 maneuvers of Israeli intelligence for its establishment. Now, the article is going to assess those opposing narratives. So, Haza, uh, excuse me, Haza, Hamas, founded in the Gaza Strip in December 1987, has been the subject of numerous studies, articles, and analyses particularly since its victory in the Palestinian legislative elections of January 2006, which is where that, uh, that piece from Ron Paul comes from, by the way, and its takeover of Gaza in June 2007. Yet, despite all of this, little academic attention has been paid to the historical foundations of the movement, which grew out of the Muslim Brotherhood's Gaza branch established in 1946. Meanwhile, two contradictory interpretations of the movement's origins are in wide circulation. The first portrays Hamas as heir to a militant lineage, rigorously independent of all Arab regimes, including Egypt, and hearkening back to Is al-Din al-Qasim, a Syrian cleric killed in 1935 while fighting the British in Palestine. Except for that didn't really exist, but anyway. Uh, this quote-unquote official history of the movement reproduced in the Hamas literature coming out of Gaza denies any break in continuity over the last 70 years, as if the Muslim Brotherhood had always been at the vanguard and epicenter of the national struggle. This narrative evidently aims at discrediting other Palestinian factions, chief among them Fatah, identified with the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah. The second interpretation basically depicts Hamas as a golem, a creature in Jewish folklore fashioned from mud and made animate who ultimately escapes his master. While the specific analogy was coined by an Israeli advisor to the Israeli occupation authorities in Gaza, it accurately, accurately reflects the widely held belief that Hamas was created by the Israeli security services in Gaza to divide and weaken the Palestinian national movement, but ended up, as in the Jewish fable, turning against its creator. This second reading draws especially on the Muslim Brotherhood's boycott of the anti-Israeli resistance that has been endorsed by all other factions in the Strip following the June 1967 occupation. For those describing, uh, subscribing to this quote-unquote counter-history, there is no authentic nationalism outside of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, founded in 1964 and taken over by Fatah, read Yasser Arafat, in 1969 with Yasser Arafat as its head. So what is, the, what, what is true here? Well, according to Jean-Pierre uh, Philolou, quote, as in-depth examina 
an in-depth examination of the period from the Muslim Brotherhood's establishment in Gaza in 1946 to the creation of Hamas in 1987, however, does not, repeat, does not give credence to either of these interpretations. Indeed, the Muslim Brotherhood, far from taking a consistently adversarial position toward the authorities during Egypt's two-decade-long administration of the Strip from 48 to 67, was in fact chosen to head the Gaza municipality in 1952. Moreover, Gaza's first armed fighters emerged from the Brotherhood's ranks and played a key role in the eventual founding of Fatah itself. And while the Israeli authorities in 1980 did allow the militant Islamists to attack their Palestinian rivals accused of quote-unquote communism, the assault on the Arab left in Gaza was supported by Fatah as well. So what Jean-Pierre Philolou is telling us is what? That neither Ron Paul and the, and the left anti-war scenario is telling us about the founding of Hamas is absolutely untrue. It is true that they assisted or that they looked favorably on those who would attack within, right? Because if you can weaken the quote-unquote Palestinian authority, that's a win for the Israeli government and the the Palestinian nationalization movement um, being weakened is a win for the Israeli government. That is absolutely a truth. But it turns out that it's likely more the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we're just going to sit by maybe perhaps encourage a little bit of it, that part probably is true. But they did not have some sort of uh, magic hand in founding Hamas. That's not true. It turns out that Fatah and other groups, it was an internal power struggle amongst militant groups that was already there that was just further, quote-unquote, encouraged. It's also untrue that these are just absolutely all the way back to the founding in 1935 of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. It turns out that there's fables on both sides of the equation here. That's, That's the reality. So neither the story that the libertarian Ron Paul wing want to tell you that we have culpability and and moral uh, bankruptness when it comes to this and that that we're the ones that created the animal and uh, now we're dealing in reaping what we sowed. Turns out that's not really true at all. Not at all. But I'm going to link to this um, article for you guys in the show notes, by the way, so you can read the totality of it for yourself so that you can really deep dive. It's about 15, 16 pages. It's not super long. Um, But I don't want to dive too, too deep into this because I also want to get into uh, a couple of other things and a couple other takes. But before I get into the other takes here, um, I just want to get into the scenes that we've seen from across the globe that blow my mind. Australia, 
all the corners of the globe, basically, this weekend. New York City, Chicago, elsewhere. In fact, uh, one of the biggest, quote-unquote, Palestinian communities in the United States of America is in a suburb of Chicago called Bridgeview. Um, and we'll get into um, what took place there. But to watch the pro-Palestinian celebrations, the people celebrating Hamas murdering innocent men, women, and children, just literally going in and indiscriminately killing whomever they felt like, whether they were, ooh, the, the bad Jewish people, their words, not mine, or not, or just random people who happen to be there on holiday or whatever have you. It's sickening. It really is. that that That's not to be celebrated. But but uh, they're fighting back against the the dastardly Jews, and how do we know that they're that they believe that? We know it because what are we watching? Jewish schools, synagogues, businesses. It nothing has changed. Everything's the same when it comes to. This really is all about Judaism and hatred of the Jews from these people. It's, you know, the from the river to the sea BS. Oh. It was really hard to watch that in New York City. Look, you have every right to say what you want to say. But in a country like America in which you've chosen the freedom of this country, I, I just, I don't know. I just, how do you morally celebrate that? It is one thing to say that you want to support their right to self-governance or independence or some sort of two-state solution. I don't necessarily support that. But if that's where you are, okay. There's a difference between that political uh, position and sitting here cheering, celebrating, lighting fireworks off as literally tens of thousands or thousands at least of innocent women and children have been slaughtered at the hands of the people you are celebrating. You are a morally bankrupt group. You have no leg to stand on at that point, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely none. We can sit here and debate the policies and, and this and that all day long if you want. There's a difference between politics and murder. Duh. But what I want to get back to also is the fact that, you know, we talk about the moral culpability of America here, right? And we're the ones who, along with our partners in Israel, who created the animal that slaughtered them. Let me ask you this. 
Go back six weeks, six months, whatever it is, and ask yourself, is there any sort of coincidence to America handing $6 billion to the Iranians and then um, Iran and, well, at least Hamas, telling us that Iran funded their operations this weekend, their war-starting efforts this weekend? What moral culpability do we have? Well, the State Department would like you to know one of these things is not like the other. That's right. They they decided to tell us that, quote, <clears throat> from Matthew Miller, the State Department spokesperson, Let's be clear. The deal to bring U.S. citizens home from Iran has nothing to do with the horrific attack on Israel. Not a penny has been spent, and when it is, it can only go for humanitarian needs like food and medicine. Anything to the contrary is false. That's an interesting take from the State Department because on the one hand, they are correct. The The money that was given in exchange for all of the just humanitarian needs of, of the people of the, the fine nation of Iran in exchange for uh, hostages that Iran has. Okay. Um, maybe you have that as trackable, but let me, let me ask you this. If you were given $6 billion or let's say $6,000, would that, or would that not free up a, I don't know, another $6,000 that you had earmarked for other things in your own life? Like you've got a budget or you've saved up $6,000 and you might want to maybe make a down payment on a new car or something like that but somebody gave you $6,000. Wouldn't you be able to then just spend that $6,000 on that car and then put that $6,000 right back into that savings account and just say to yourself, hmm, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but there's that shiny new car, right? It turns out money is always fungible, because you can move it around. If Iran knows that they've got $6 billion to play with, because now they've got $6 billion of quote-unquote humanitarian aid, this is the dumbest take of all time. There's absolutely, in my mind, an absolute correlation, if not causation, of that money being given and the ability to fund terrorism around the globe by Iran. It absolutely is not a coincidence for me. Nor should it be for you. Oh, well, it's all that money is absolutely totally not fungible. You you might be right in that the six billion dollars that we decided to hand over to them. We might be tracking it, tracing it, blah, 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 blah. But that frees the rest of the money that they wouldn't have access to for other things to go to other things. It turns out they can move their internal monetary supply around and possibly 
tap into that $6 billion when they need it for the things internally. They can make it look like they're spending it on anything that would qualify. And then free up the funds that they have earmarked elsewhere for that terrorism. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That's exactly, I guarantee it, what took place here. So, yeah, we have some culpability in my mind here because we didn't think beyond the first step. And none of that is surprising to me. None of it is because our State Department under this dementia-riddled president has no clue what it's doing. None around the globe. Absolutely none. No clue what it's doing. If it did, would we see war between Hamas and Israel? Would we see what's going on between Russia, Ukraine, the proxy war? And let us not forget Iran, Russia, China. Is it any wonder that two of the three are already beginning to destabilize the global world, right? Is it any wonder that China is barking up the tree of Taiwan, right? Could we see all three of these things happen before Joe Biden leaves office, hopefully in 2024, for the sake of just having some sort of competency back potentially in the White House? One of the other worst takes that I saw this weekend had everything to do with, well, Donald Trump. And it came from one of the most ironic places of all, Mike Pence. Well, I am, but let me begin at where, where we ought to start. I mean, that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan has emboldened the enemies of freedom around the world. And now war is raging uh, in Eastern Europe. And, and President Joe Biden's kowtowing for the last two and a half years to the mullahs in Iran, lifting sanctions, begging them to get back in the Iran nuclear deal, and then uh, paying $6 billion in a ransom uh, for hostages, I, I think set the conditions uh, for this unprecedented terrorist attack uh, by Hamas 
against Israel. But I also believe this is what happens when we have leading voices like Donald Trump, Vivek Ramswamy, and Ron DeSantis signaling retreat from America's role as leader of the free world. I, look, uh, that what happened in Ukraine was an unprovoked invasion by Russia. What happened this weekend was an unprovoked invasion by Hamas uh, into Israel. Uh, and I really believe now more than ever, uh, both uh, the debate within the Republican Party and the debate within America, is whether or not we're, we're going to once again stand without apology as the leader of the free world, as the arsenal of democracy, the heartbreaking images coming out of both of these theaters of operations remind us that uh, America is the indispensable leader uh, of the free world. And if I'm president of the United States, we'll lead from American strength. That's right. Donald Trump, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Ron DeSantis. Not coincidentally, Mike Pence, the, the three people garnering the most support currently in the GOP primary. Hmm. What a weird coincidence that is. Also, um... Equating what is going on between Hamas and Israel with Ukraine in terms of support and, and all of that sort of stuff is insane. I have linked them together because we've got on one side Iran funding Hamas, and then we've got the proxy war being fought between Russia, Ukraine, and really Russia in, in the West. That's really what's going on there. And the linkage between Iran, Russia, and all of their... Um, monetary supply and, and weapons and this, that, and everything in between. That's the only linkage that exists here. To shrink as if Donald Trump, who gave us the Abrahamic Accords, also notice how Egypt closing its borders doesn't want anything really to do with the uh, people of the Gaza Strip. Notice how no Arab nation is saying, hey, you know what? Uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinian Authority, PLO, Islamic Jihad in Palestine. Why don't, you, why, why don't you come over here? Weird. Weird, huh? Turns out the people who helped with the Abrahamic Accords couldn't get a deal done. And... That's the reality because what what was the suggestion, right, when those Abrahamic Accords came about? It is isolate Hamas, the PLO, the people leading the quote-unquote Palestinians. It was to isolate them, make them pariahs within the Arab world, isolate them in their relationship with Iran so that we can deal with it. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened with this administration. And by the way, no president in my lifetime, likely any of you living out there's lifetimes or our grandparents' lifetimes, has seen any real lasting forever peace in the quote-unquote Middle East. Really, we're talking Israel and Palestinians, right? That's never happened. Not from a lasting perspective. I, I don't understand Mike Pence's take here. Are, are we suggesting that we now need to fight a two-front war and, and Israel is, what, incapable of defending or offensive 
maneuvering. It is one of the most well-defended, well-funded militaries in the entire world. Its Iron Dome is something that we as Americans have been trying to emulate for the longest time in defense of this nation from attacks across the sea. Iran has decided, let's fund people in the backyard of Israel rather than us just directly attacking it because they know exactly what would happen on the world stage. It would get bound back into the Stone Age in which its mullahs and and um, political leadership would like you to believe they exist in. It, what would happen if we go that route? Well, Russia and Iran are entangled, and would Russia see that as... A, uh-oh, here comes World War III. And here's the reality when you talk to people who actually hold operational leadership and not aspirational leadership, if you will, within the Department of Defense, within the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force. We do not have the capability to fight World War III. World War III would end America as we know it. That's the reality that we are facing. We're sending munitions, bullets, um, you know, missiles and this, that, and everything else. Well, we can't even supply our own military with the correct levels of simple things like bullets and the F-35 plane is a total freaking disaster. We don't even maintain the, the planes well enough. It, it turns out we are the British Navy of World War One, It turns out we are likely in the position of declining military capabilities and to fight that physical war on one front, let alone two, would absolutely cripple us because it would take a World War II-like transition effort and we don't have the infrastructure the manufacturing, the capabilities to turn industrial into military that we are able to do in World War II. We don't have those capabilities. What are we going to do? Force the Ford manufacturers in Mexico to start supplying us with bullets and bombs and everything in between? There are some very harsh realities that must be faced in the wake of what we just saw this weekend. And some of those harsh realities are that decisions made by the United States of America in the past year have contributed more than most likely to what took place this weekend. Also, that Hamas is immoral. That Israel kind of has a very murky ground of morality to stand on on its own when it comes to their relationship with Hamas, when it comes to the inner workings of what is going on. It's just mind-blowingly bad on all fronts. But folks, it is time for us to move beyond that to talk about what today is, Monday, October 9th, Year of Our Lord 2023, right? But it is also Columbus Day 
otherwise known as Indigenous People Day here in the state of Illinois and elsewhere. So let's go ahead and talk about Columbus and Columbus Day. All right. So we know the, the riddle, right? In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. The rest is totally history. And everything is hunky-dory. He was attempting to, and then he, uh, Columbus was attempting to find a way to Asia, and he just happened to be North America's founder. Except for the, the rest of the story that we've been told about Columbus, not exactly true in terms of how great he was at founding or finding North America. Also, by the way, Neither is the leftist revisionist history of both Columbus and the native peoples of the Caribbean. So what really is the truth about that voyage or voyages? Because so much is focused on, on he lands on the shore of Hispaniola or San Salvador, right? Lands on the, the shore and immediately colonizes, enslaves, murders, rapes, pillages his way. Through the Caribbean. Okay. Not exactly the truth either. Yes, it is true that Columbus, an absolute devout Catholic, by the way, and Italian, sailed under the Spanish flag with the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria to the Caribbean in 1492 in search of that passage to Asia, landing at what they called San Salvador in the hopes of finding passage again to Asia. That is absolutely part of the true story of Columbus and his voyage of quote-unquote discovery that landed them in the quote-unquote new world. Now, we all know that actual archaeological history suggests that people of Scandinavian and other European descents have likely made landfall in Canada, parts of, of the United States, well before 1492, well before that. The archaeological evidence suggests that. Okay, so, great, but European Enlightenment history doesn't consider Scandinavian history, so to the Europeans, this is all brand new. He is likely not the very first, quote-unquote, European, as we see it today, to land in North America, Right? But what is not true about the narrative that we have been sold in We Can't Celebrate Columbus Day? By the way, full disclosure, I am a member of the Knights of Columbus, a Catholic fraternal organization dedicated to charity, to unity, to patriotism, to manhood, all sorts of things. Given the name of Columbus because of what Columbus did with his Catholic faith. More on that in a little bit. What is absolutely not true about Columbus was that he was some sort of homicidal, genocidal maniac who enslaved, slaughtered all the innocent, indigenous, and peaceful people of the Caribbean islands. In fact, the real actual enslavers in these scenarios, the real brutalizers, the real genocidal maniacs were already on the islands of the Caribbean. And Columbus was actually about to find this out. In the other voyages, you see, Columbus was brave enough not once, not twice, not three times, but four times to have made voyages across the Atlantic to the Caribbean. So let's set the record straight just a little bit here, okay? 
Let's go ahead and do that. What did Columbus and his men encounter when they made landfall in 1492? Well, on that very first voyage, he actually encountered the native tribe known as the Taino. Columbus would describe them in his writings as, quote, the best people in the world, and that, quote, a better race there cannot be. You know, that bastard, hateful bigot. Err. However, he would also encounter the Taino's mortal enemy, the tribe that was called the Caribs, which, by the way, is the root of the word Caribbean that we use today. Turns out that the Caribs would actually raid, enslave, and <clears throat> at the time, allegedly, cannibalize the Taino people pretty routinely. Although on this 1492 voyage, the very first voyage, Columbus was unable to verify the claims that the Tainos were making to him. But Columbus would make three more voyages to the New World and would encounter the brutality and the hostility of the Carib people during later voyages, document, documenting their practices. In fact, by the way, Canibs was another name that they gave to the Caribs. Canibs, cannibalism, also the root of the word cannibal. So <laughs> these people held a lot of sway, if you will. Now, after a while, Columbus needed to return and uh, during, after that 1492 voyage, bringing colonists and supplies back. But with one ship having run aground from that original one, then he had to leave some of the men, some of the people behind, some of his crew behind on the island. Now, I also want to give you a warning because what is about to come your way is absolutely disturbing in nature, to say the least, folks. So... If you are watching on the Rumble page or the Rumble channel, you can hit pause. If you are listening via the podcast, you can hit pause. You can skip forward a little bit if you want to as well. Probably about four to five minutes here. If you've got people that are sensitive to violence, sensitive to that sort of stuff, I'm going to give you a warning. So in three, two, one. So I'm going to read from The American Story, The Beginnings, which is a book by David Barton and Tim Barton, okay? And they write, Having found friendly allies, Columbus went back to Spain to bring more colonists. Because one of his three ships had run aground and was unusable, it forced him to leave a number of his men behind with the Tainos. While he was gone, the Caribs launched an attack upon them, killing and cannibalizing the men and enslaving the Taino women. Upon his return with 17 ships, yes, 17 ships on the second voyage and 1,200 settlers, which was his second voyage again, Columbus found the remains of those people that he left behind. At the behest of his native allies, he set out for the Carib lands of those who had attacked and killed his men and their Taino friends. Later, in one Carib village, Columbus found huts where the Caribs housed enslaved Taino women, whom they raped to produce children, which the Caribs ate. A doctor accompanying Columbus reported the following. These captive women told us that the Caribbe men used them which, with such cruelty as would scarcely be believed, and that they 
eat the children which they bear to them, only bringing up those which they have by their native wives. Such of their male enemies as they can take away alive, they bring here to their homes to make a feast of them. And those who are killed in battle they eat up after the fighting is over. They claim that the flesh of man is so good to eat that nothing like it can be compared to it in the world. And this is pretty evident, for of the human bones we found in their houses, everything that could be gnawed had already been gnawed, so that nothing else remained of them but what was too hard to be eaten. In one of the houses, we found the neck of a man undergoing the process of cooking in a pot, preparatory for eating it. The habits of these caribs are beastly. The abundance of human remains and gnawed human bones laying throughout the various camps confirmed the reports of the widespread barbaric carib cannibalism about which Columbus had previously heard. Remember, I had told you that he had heard these stories but was unable to verify them on his first trip. Columbus also learned that, quote, the caribs, whenever they catch these Indians, eat them as they would eat kids or goats. And they say that a boy's flesh tastes better than that of a woman. Of this human flesh, they are very greedy, so that to eat of that flesh, they stay, uh, they stay out of their country for six, eight, and even ten years before they repatriate, meaning return home. And they stay so long wherever they go that they depopulate the islands. What is the reality? Why, why, why did I bring that story to you? Because remember what we're told about Christopher Columbus and how he cannot be somebody to celebrate because he was an enslaver, a genocidal maniac who brought disease and famine and killed all of these people, right? Well, the actual historical reality has that these people that they were able to document as being depopulated, if you will, being um, enslaved, being killed and butchered and violently, maliciously murdered, right? It wasn't done at the hands of Columbus. It was done at the hands of tribal warfare. The Tainos being absolutely brutalized by the Caribs and the Caribs being an absolutely vicious, immoral, to Western standards, absolutely, group. Cannibalizing. They would wait 8 to 10 years to come back home so that they could eat the young. Now, continues, Columbus liberated the enslaved women they found in the huts and proceeded to fight the Caribs whenever they engaged them. But he also tried his best to treat the Taino tribes justly and kindly. Now, the reality of what took place with Columbus is that he sailed four times. He ended up penniless. He ended up um, being a person the Spanish hated because he became too powerful, because he came, became too famous, and the king and queen of Spain couldn't have that. And we're taking the words of the people who were bitterly and spitefully hateful towards Columbus, and we're doing what we do today with the court of public opinion, taking allegations as truth. That's right. Allegations from the 1500s, folks. The 16th century. Today, as if they're true. 
Turns out, no, they weren't. It turns out Columbus was actively missionizing, actively attempting to bring his Catholic faith to the quote-unquote new world. And by the way, he converted many Tainos and many others that he encountered into faithful Christians, into faithful Catholics. Turns out that the brutalization at the hands of quote-unquote Europeans actually occurred when he was never even there because he made many trips home. And when he found what was going on, by the people who hated him on that land, by the way, they refused to take an Italian as somebody who was governor, and he was named governor at first, by the way, of those islands. He was named governor. But they hated the fact that an Italian was taking Spanish government, and they would never, never allow for it. And those people were the ones that were treating some of these tribes badly. That did do enslavement. That did do bad things. Absolutely happened. Not at Columbus's behest. In fact, Columbus would fight most of the people who he found doing these things, whether they were native individuals or, or people that were, quote-unquote, in his camp. Then when it became politically expedient for the Spanish government to make sure they knocked him down a peg because they couldn't stand the fact that he became probably the most famous person in Europe for a number of decades, they began to spread falsehoods and lies, absolutely undocumented, unprovable, unrecognizable lies about Columbus to knock him down the social peg. Question for you. Does that sound familiar? Turns out it's a tale as old as time. So when we deride Christopher Columbus and they try to attack the statues or rename this or rename that and rename this holiday and do this, the reality of Christopher Columbus is actually one of wealth, one of exploration and curiosity, one of an individual who was a devout religious man, and a story just like much of history that is actually way more complicated than the simplistic version that we have been given early on in our teaching of history and then just perpetuated over and over again. More importantly, what we're told that we have to paper over Columbus Day with is quote-unquote, Indigenous Peoples Day. The story that I read to you, the story that I just told you, is well-documented, by the way. It is a well-documented fact that these are the, that, that this is what the Caribs did and were about. Are, these, are, are, are those the Indigenous people that we're supposed to be celebrating? Because, again, you see much like European history, much like Arab history, Asian history, really all of human history, things are not exactly black and white. Not all people on all sides are good or bad. And let's remember that for the first half 
of the program today. But to sit here and focus on Christopher Columbus as one person that was somehow some genocidal maniac over and then paper over the Caribs and their actions, or to suggest that, uh, you know, no no indigenous people, they're, they're all just one group, is an actual disservice to the Navajo, to the Cherokee, to the Seminole tribe, to the Oneida, Ojibwa, Potawatomi tribes, to the <coughs> tribes all over this country that are separate, distinct, and hear me out on this. Some of them really good, others of them really bad. Some of them peaceful. Some of them helped to form ideas that our government would take on. Others of which would literally fight us to the death. Some of them, like the Menominee tribe in Wisconsin, have never fought a war. Others would literally roam the lands and kill and enslave any other native tribe that they would find. Here we are. We have people off today for quote-unquote Indigenous Peoples Day here in Illinois and other places in this country because they couldn't possibly utter the word Columbus. As if, now, so what? We're supposed to just say, you know what? We, we, we got to ignore the genocidal side of things. These are just peaceful Indians and or whatever word du jour, right? Every one of them was just the peaceful, you know, feather, totem pole, character, and, you know, caricature that the left wants you to paint them out. And the, the brutal, the brutal, yeah, guess what? The American government of the 1800s absolutely was brutal to the native population. The native population, or quote-unquote native population, because really what is a native here in America, because that would suggest that they existed here. They were native, except for the real history, the real archaeological history suggests that they were actually probably native and indigenous elsewhere and walked over here and came over here on boats. But I digress. We're just supposed to believe this caricature of these people as just peaceful and un, undeservedly and indiscriminately slaughtered and, and trail of tears. Absolutely, that's part of the history. But just like everybody else, just like the tribes themselves, just like indigenous people, their history is not exactly black and white as if they're all good or all bad. Just like Christopher Columbus's history is not all good or all bad. Maybe we shouldn't, I don't know, be boiling things down for all people or one race or one ethnicity or or men are better than women, women better than men or whatever have you as all bad and the other people good. And therefore we have to celebrate them over the other people and we have to ha paint over this holiday or paper it over. Maybe. Life and history is far more complicated. And while Columbus, again, was far from a perfect human, erasing his accomplishment of finding the Caribbean islands and being a great explorer, a great exporter of 
Christian faith, read the Catholic faith at the time, that shouldn't be erased either. And with that, folks, please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.